Cool, cool. So episode six of the Haunted Hacker um, podcast. It's like time is just flying by. Um, we have Greg, who's a good friend of mine from the UK, um, Canada, via US, via, via, via. Um, <laughs> we spoke together a couple times in Europe on the same stage. Um, really good speaker. So we're just going to have a normal podcast, relaxed, um, casual conversation. Please try and save your questions to the end. Uh, let Greg uh, do his thing. Um, and just a little bit of background on how I met Greg. Um, so we were both speaking at NISC, which is a Sapphire sponsored event. Uh, I believe it was in England, right, Greg? It was in, uh, yeah, it was in the Northwest somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we both spoke and then got put at the same table with the CEO and the um, founder of the company, which was really odd and found out that we had like more in common than just uh, sharing a stage and hacking. Uh, so I'll let Greg talk about, you know, state of the industry, whatever he wants to talk about, and uh, we'll just go from there. All your screen. Cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good seeing you again, Mike. It's been, it's been a while. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's weird that you're stateside now because you know, everyone kind of got disconnected because of COVID. No one could meet, meet up anymore. And then all of a sudden people are in totally different places. Right. Um, yeah, like I was, I was actually going to open up with the same thing. Like we met at NISC, uh, so it's really dark. I don't know if you guys can even see. Yeah, you're good. Uh, it's late and the lighting in here is crap. Um, yeah, we met at that NISC conference. I think it was in Cheshire somewhere. Yeah. Um, which funny enough is where I live now, but I, I can't remember where it was. I'd have to look it up. And uh, yeah, I remember it was, it was like a three day conference. I think on the second night there was a kind of a dinner and a black tie thing. Mm -hmm. Which you obviously had a hoodie with a fucking bedazzled skull on it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but hey, Kevin Fielder was just in his short, like, T-shirt and tats hanging out. So yep. everything goes. Um, and yeah, it was it was An Annabelle, who um, was the CEO you mentioned of, of Sapphire. And she orchestrated the whole thing. She was actually brilliant. We had no idea at the time, but she orchestrated the whole thing. And it, it turns out we had quite, like, a similar story. Very and uh, you know, I, I used to be in uh, you know, when I was like 16, 17 years old, I was in uh, in Millworm, which you know, anyone that was around like in the late 90s hacking scene, stroke, there, there were a lot of groups back then. You know, I remember like uh, uh, Rhino 09, Masters of Downloading, um, guy involved with them called Chameleon, Mark Mayfret. He became well, he founded EI, mm -hmm. their chief hacking officer. Uh, you should you should be a chief hacking officer for someone someday. I think that's like your perfect <laughs> career thing. Not not the CISO role, the chief hacking role. That's what you need to be doing. Yeah, for real. Um, and uh, God, I, so many ridiculous things. I remember they were like hacking for girlies, HFG, um, Ashtray Lumberjacks was another cool hacking group at the mm -hmm. time. We and I was with Millworm, and we we used to do stuff with Ashtray as well. Most of it was on Undernet, on IRC and Fnet. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, we were just dumb kids learning how to how to hack and uh, sucking up knowledge and uh, getting into trouble. And um, yeah, I ended up hacking a, a nuclear weapons facility uh, completely by accident, if I'm honest. Uh, I hacked it and uh, I only found out what it was afterwards when I plugged the, the, the IP in a browser like afterwards. I think it was... Um, 
I think it was running an old version of SendMail. Mm-hmm. And I basically got it. It was like a dead letter exploit. And like, he, he didn't configure it right. Well, SendMail had this feature where it would send undeliverable mail to a file except I managed to trick it and change the file it delivered the, the mail to, to Etsy password. So I just sent an undeliverable email with, you know, a UID, GID and, and a hash that I knew. And I tricked it into having the system's own send mail, push it to, uh, to the password file and just created myself an account on the system, some random system on the internet. And uh, once I got access to it, I put it in the, uh, what was it, Netscape at the time browser. Oh, my God. And next thing you know, I was like, yeah, it's a re- nuclear research center. I was like, oh, shit. Um, yeah, let's download all the emails and deface the website and do all this other cool stuff. So, uh, yeah. Um, ended up moving to the States a few months after because it just felt like that's where all the scene was. And, um, yeah, visited by some, uh, some men in suits uh, not long after that. Uh, one of them from the Immigration and Naturalization Service because that's the only thing they could pin on me. So uh, <laughs> I ended up uh, ended up doing something like um, all kinds of weird stuff, to be honest. And, and those those are stories I don't really want to share them like super publicly. Um, you know, one on one is all right, but super publicly, no. Um, and it's it's stuff that like a lot of people don't believe you. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, you couldn't have done that because you didn't have the clearance. Well, like, the government doesn't give a crap. They make the rules. They have the ways to bend the rules, you know. Yeah, you'll get a humanitarian visa for this, an excuse for that. And you, we'll classify you as a CI here, an informant there, a witness here. Mm-hmm. Whatever it takes to make it work, uh, they're happy to bend the rules. You know, U.S. Attorney's Office giving letters authorizing extra legal activities with yeah. no scope whatsoever. Right, very broad. <laughs> Go on, go run some ops. Just t- tell us what you find. Here's some money. Uh, no one believes that stuff. And then we actually started talking. It's like you, you went through much of the same stuff. I was like, holy crap, someone actually like relates to what I've been through. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, that was kind of where, where we connected. And then we, and, had, uh, we both had a connection with uh, Stroke from Millworm, who, mm. who originally... Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We actually knew one of the same... People, you know, I I never even physically met him. Uh, I did. It, I did. It was very strange. He was uh, an electrician at the time, and he ran yeah. Millworm. And he was from Texas, in the middle of Texas, yeah. middle of nowhere, and um, was super surprised his appearance. Like, totally didn't expect it. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I had a similar thing. Um, can I up my audio a little bit? I can't. I'll try to get closer. Someone. Uh, I remember meeting like other people from the scene and they're like, you're totally not what you'd expect. You know, like one guy worked at a car wash. Uh, another guy was, you know, a radio guy or uh, and so many of these guys, they just worked at like Comcast at like the help desk and just completely random jobs. And then at night they're just like, you know, some, some of these people actually like specifically being mentioned as threats to national security. Yes. And meanwhile, you know, they're, they're working minimum wage on the Comcast help desk during the day, uh, working in a car wash, you know, all kinds of really random stuff. But uh, it was, it was cool back then. It was, you know, it was before nine 11. Uh, I, I think I got like the tail end of you get caught, you get a job. And after that, it was like, you get caught, you go to prison because you're a terrorist. <laughs> Right. Even though you're just a teenager, you're goofing around. Um, 
Yeah, so that, that's kind of, um, it's weird. I've been reflecting about this recently. That's kind of where I started out. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people even back then were very like focused on, you know, specific kind of offensive skills where I was, I was maybe not as, I, I was always in awe at like a lot of the guys because they were like so good, you know, they were coding, you know, they weren't just like scripting bash and Perl and C and coding C, but you know, assembly and assembly on like multiple different architectures. And then like, I was like, holy crap, like this, these guys are like way, way, way smarter than I am. Uh, and I was like in all of them, but I, I realized later on that they were actually, they were smarter, but they were smarter in that area. They were like really focalized. Whereas I was always more of a, a bit of a generalist, which I think is serving me better playing defense now. Um, but what surprises me nowadays is like most, most people in security don't have that background. You know, they, they've never hacked themselves. Um, they've it's never learned, looked at right? it that way. Yeah. It's and, kind of, it's kind of learned. They, it, now they have all these certifications that teach people how to hack. Um, yeah, but they don't, they don't, yeah, but they've not gone through it themselves. They've never had the mentality, the thought process. Right. And that's kind of what worries me. And I, I actually had a, a talk last week and I was talking about why standardization is a bad idea. And I actually remember being at that NIST conference and there was a guy from, it was like the Chartered Institute of Information Security. And he was saying it was the only organization that was recognized, you know, by the government, by the queen and everything yeah. and how they wanted to standardize everything. I was like, you're standardizing the, the thinking out of it. Like you're not, you just take a step back and look at what you have in in front of you because it's going to change where whatever you're, you're doing defending time of day you know time of year whatever it you have to fix what's in front of you. you you stop trying to standardize the thought out of it and that actually really really pissed me off i thought i thought that was like a terrible idea it was horrible yeah, yeah. so and i'm like disagreeing with the skills gap and everything and i'm like you only have a skills gap because you've standardized the approach and it doesn't work and you're just throwing bodies at it exactly and i try to tell people that you know like when I went on to the tour the first time I did inside the mind of a hacker. Right. So there's a whole psychology behind what we do that you can't teach in a class. Yeah. It doesn't exist. I remember seeing your first talk at, uh, the, it was in Manchester when I first saw you actually speaking oh, at yeah, the future yeah. cybersecurity. It was at the, uh, Manchester, uh, United stadium. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but that's the one. Uh, and I, that's what I thought was interesting about it because you were really going into like the psychology of it and everybody else, nobody had, had actually spoken about that before. Just the, the kind of thinking and why you were doing it and why, what was motivating you. And I never really gave it much thought. You know, I was just a bored teenager and I lived way out in the country and had nothing else to do but play Descent. That was a cool game. Yes. And, uh, and hack stuff because why not exactly and uh, yeah so i think um as a topic yeah that's cave yeah jim clark he founded he founded silicon graphics as well didn't he jim clark yep yeah so how did you go from being involved in hacking and one of the biggest exploit databases on the planet to going to a CISO position and leading defense teams well, I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, it, all, it all just kind of happened. Um, I remember, is that an old fashioned that you're drinking? 
Uh, sort of. It's Fireball and Evan Williams with Cinnamon uh, Jolly Rancher. Damn. Because yeah. um, I remember, yeah, I remember doing like a few years. Of, yeah, <laughs> Ryan Williams is like nice. I remember doing. So I remember working for the government for about three years, and then nine eleven happened. And then I was being asked to do stuff that I was just like not comfortable with. Um, plus there was a lot of like political stuff going on and I decided, okay, let me, let me go get a real job. And I remember I got a job with this consultancy and, uh, they told me I was going to do one thing, but that fell through. And the first day they dropped me off, at, uh, on, uh, an air force base. And they told them this was in the Netherlands. And they told me to audit the, the National Defense Network because it had lost its accreditation to operate because of a previous audit. And they just dropped me off there. And I, I was 20 years old and I literally did not know what the word audit meant. Uh, I didn't have much of a worth ec work ethic yet as well. So I think I spent 80% of my time uh, with an infrared connection to a Nokia phone over GPRS on IRC <laughs> chatting. <laughs> But whatever, I just, you know, I just sniffed around the place. I found issues and I recommended, well, this is how you fix that. And I even built them like a Linux box with like Samhain and all the different functionalities that they would use to, to fix everything. And three months later, they were like, this is the best audit report we've ever had. No one's ever suggested solutions before. <laughs> um, so I just kind of started doing uh, just, just consulting work through them. And then I got another job. Uh, I think my, my next kind of big job was the um, working, I was like the security lead in the architecture group for CGI, which is like a really big, uh, it's Canada's biggest MSP basically. Right. So it was like, you know, building the security architecture for these big environments and managing projects and that kind of stuff. And it was all like, everything was a baptism by fire. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of my first kind of big exposure to corporate. And I was like, well, why are we, why are we doing it this way? Why are we lifting and shifting every single customer's own stuff and just replicating it? Why aren't we doing economies of scale? Uh, all this stuff, just, just applying common sense. Um, and at some point I started a friend that worked there. Um, said like, Hey, he has, he had another friend. They were close friends and uh, he was looking for a security contractor. So I basically abandoned ship and went on to contracting. I got like a, a three month contract and they got renewed, I think 13 times at, at the three month rate. So I was, I was making some serious bank and that was like, you know, your typical contracting work of, you know, writing policies and configuring firewalls and implementing intrusion detection and PCI compliance and all that stuff. And I made, I made so much money uh, in, in those three years. It was ridiculous. Um, and that's the kind of like really, in demand security work that people want that they hire expensive consultants for you know implementing that stuff compliance policies that kind of stuff right. and that was about 10 years ago and in hindsight uh, i've never made so much money but it's the lowest value security work i've ever done because in hindsight i know like okay we were dropping tech in but we actually had no idea how the business worked we didn't take into account how any of it was going to be managed, how it was going to be maintained, what the culture was. We, we never actually had, you know, the big picture of how everything fit together. We were just ticking the boxes for, well, we need this for ISO. We need this for SOX. We need this for PCI. Uh, and it, like, I know now that, I mean, 
probably extremely minimal value. Like I, I guarantee you that it wouldn't have been maintained. I guarantee you that we miss things. Um, it's crap. Um, I kind of, um, I moved to Italy for a while because I went on vacation for three weeks and I fell in love with the place and ended up spending seven years uh, there. Nice Frenchie. Yeah. Yeah. I moved to Italy. Nice. Um, I, I went on a three, three week vacation and ended up staying there seven years. Sounds like my trip to London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting because the, the, there is no real IT market there. Security, you know, the, the work mentality is completely different. Um, totally different mentality in general. Um, very almost medieval. But, um, and I ended up having to like do other stuff just to survive. And I kind of like went away from, you know, one of the things that attracted me to Italy was cars because I was really passionate about cars. I was hoping to just go into engineering and cars or whatever. Didn't work out. Ended up setting an event business. Um, eventually I had to get a real job. And I worked for, uh, I set up a security program for QVC in Italy. Um, but I was, Italy was kind of a startup, uh, but they didn't have much set up. So I went to all the other countries because I mean, people may not know, but you have QVC in Italy, you have it in Japan, you have it in China, you have it in Germany, UK, US, obviously, France, I think Brazil now as well. Mm. It's all over the place. But Italy was new at the time. And um, if I can turn the brightness up, I'll brighten me up, check you. Um, so I just reached out to everyone like, hey, what are you guys doing so I can align myself to it? Mm. And no, no one was doing anything. So I was like, oh, crap. Well, if I'm going to build a security program here, let me build a, a global one. Um, and that's what I started doing there. And eventually they, they hired a, a, kind of a VP of security, um, which is something they had interviewed me internally for, but they decided they wanted an American to do it. And for whatever reason, she just made her mission to get rid of me as soon as she started. Um, I mean, literally my first meeting with her was her having me report into someone in Germany instead of directly to her, like all the other heads. Uh, and she just, she kept trying to get me fired, but the, the Italian employment laws are like, you can't fire people basically, not without giving them two years salary. Same as Scotland. And, and yeah. To agree with it. It's, it's like yeah. unbelievably uh, difficult to fire people there. Um, and it got really weird. Like I ended up like spending like 150,000 euros to try to frame me for a crime. Wow. Uh, it was, yeah. I, so, so I, bought, I bought a lot of land with the settlement. <laughs> so, so, so focusing on that same idea, what I've noticed in the industry in general is people want workers or, or security guys with that hacking mystique or that background, and they want to use this to, to boost their company, but they don't necessarily want, want that person. They, they just want the name or the background, um, but the trust is hardly ever there. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you've experienced this relatively recently. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that was definitely a PR success, but it didn't last very long. <laughs> it was huge PR. You get picked up by InfoSec Magazine. Yeah, yeah. It even got picked up by, by some, some, even some financial, some like FinTech Times. Yeah, FinTech Times. Um, and I worked for them for like six months and never got paid. It was mm. an absolute disaster. Yeah, I've had, I've had a five-month stretch where I didn't get paid. Um that's the industry, right? Like that's the type of things that we go through, you know, they want that yeah. background, but they don't want to pay for it. 
I think, yeah, especially with the hacker background, like hackers are, they get used as, as a commodity in terms of, yeah, PR and exposure and that kind of stuff. Now, I don't think, for example, I think, I think hackers make, most hackers make, because I wouldn't consider myself a hacker anymore, but I think most hackers make not necessarily the best CISOs, but really good security researchers. Right. You know, guys like you, guys like uh, Chris Roberts come to mind, you know, absolutely freaking brilliant in, in that focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more of like a how the pieces fit together guy. And I recognize like this, this guy is your researcher. Like this guy really knows because you know, I've, I've been there. I've been in that culture. I've, you know, I recognize the skills. Like I know what makes someone really, really good. That's, you know, that's my job, just to recognize that, get teams working together, piece, putting it together. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of politics in, in security as well. And I think part of that is um, um, people don't really understand how security works, first of all. Um, you've got a lot of people just kind of going through the motions because there's standards and best practices, but they don't really question why they're doing some of this stuff. But the, uh, it's, it's missing that kind of mentality of, fitting all the pieces together. And I think that's why it's, it's interesting because I think the industry is there's, there's this weird dichotomy to it and that you've got people like you who are doing like really cool, you know, tip of the spear research or like really, really sophisticated stuff. And you're like, Holy crap. Like how, how are we going to protect ourselves against this? The reality is 99.99% of the time it doesn't matter because Companies, big companies, are still getting breached by SQL injection and not patching three-year-old stuff. And, you know? and, and companies like just recently that maintain threat intelligence and vulnerability intelligence on specific customers gets breached. And I think that was like global news just a couple of days ago. I, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But can I, have you seen their PR? Yeah. Like, yeah. Their PR is like, everyone's like, oh, they're doing such a good job. And, you know, don't make fun of them because anyone can get breached. I'm like, yeah, but look at their PR. That, like, I don't know what happened. Although I, I read that someone said that there was no, no zero days were used or anything. Usually not. Uh, there, there could be confusion because maybe it was their, their pen testing tools that had no zero day. But I, I read that no zero days were used in the hack. Right. Which to me means, well, you didn't, you didn't patch something, you got fish or something, you know, another right. basic thing happened. But I, I really don't like their marketing spin on it of, we've responded to tens of thousands of hacks. And every single time you responded to one of them, you made a big whoop out of it saying, oh, yeah, it was a highly sophisticated cyber attack, nation states backed, blah, blah, blah. Right. And now that you got pwned, it's like, unlike all those other ones, these guys were really, 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 really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're so much better than you that they need your your red teaming tools. No, they don't. And usually, it's an insider. Like with companies like that, it's usually an insider that that leaks either a vulnerability or an, an open avenue to get the the uh, intel or the tools. So, like shadow brokers, right? When the CIA leaked their yeah. tools to shadow brokers, that was inside job. Yeah, um, yeah the the industry in general, I think can be kind of cloak and dagger. And I, I, people getting into the industry, they, they learn about it in school. They read about, you know, their roles or their jobs, po- job possibilities in books, but they don't understand 
like the politics and they don't understand what goes on behind the veil. Um, and that's one thing I try to expose is that there's a whole nother world within security that people don't see. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of politics. Like you hear, you hear a lot of, a lot of CISOs or whatever, whatever you want to call them, like security leaders, security managers, moan all the time that they don't have enough money and they don't have, you know, visibility and they don't, you know, they don't get to report to the board or the board doesn't take them seriously. But quite frankly, most of that is your own failure because if you're in a leadership position, whether it's security or marketing or sales or finance or whatever, it's your job to create those relationships and communicate and be understood and all of this. So that's fail number one. And the second one is, I think we actually secretly love it because I've seen so many organizations where you've got, you know, dozens and dozens of employees in the security department. You've got CISOs, you've got heads of, you've got directors and there's big budgets going around and, you know, high salaries being made and they're actually doing a really crap job, but they're so poor at communicating that, other leaders, you know, so the COO, CFO, CEO, if you're in security, they automatically dismiss you as, yeah, that, that's security stuff. That's mumbo jumbo. We can't understand that. And it's, uh, you can't understand it because they're really crap communicators. I've got no issue communicating security to boards. Everyone's saying, like, oh, boards don't understand risk. You've never spent time around a board because exactly. they spend a third to half their time talking about risk. It's like exactly. topic number one on boards. Um, so it's, it's actually, if you're a crappy security practitioner of which there are many, it actually behooves you to not be understood because if they understood you, if it was transparent, they would realize you don't have a clue what you're doing. You're a fraud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've had, you know, my, um, why well, I recently got a job, but then and I was brought in there to kind of rein in a CISO that the company admitted was like a real problem. Mm. Uh, but apparently it turns out he had leverage on someone and he got my contract rescinded. Um, there's a lot of that start. politics. There's a lot of that politics that goes around too. So if you yeah. work for one company and you become a trusted employee or, or security advisor and you move to another one, if someone holds a vendetta, no pun intended, um, it can make it really hard for you at the next place. Uh, and I've seen that happen yeah. of times. Yeah. I've had like, uh, you know, I mentioned like the, the QVC one, that was, that was a good example for me. And I had the, um, so two years ago, started called the Capita. You may have heard of them in the Capita, UK. Yeah. The, the, mm -hmm. you're, yeah. They're a ma massive, massive, uh, mostly government, but uh, managed service provider. Mm -hmm. And, um, they, they for a while on the Wikipedia page, it said Capita, also known as Crapita. Because uh, it's, it's just, it's so bloated and mismanaged internally. And I, I took over the, uh, the BBC TV licensing account. And, you know, they, they told me the customer is incredibly difficult. There's not much work to do because it's all been outsourced back out to IBM. The customer is just really difficult. It's a customer management job. And I got in there on day one and I'm like, well, let me see the contracts of what we've outsourced to IBM and let me see the contracts with the BBC, the customer. And I'm like, well, what we're asking IBM to do is not what our contract with the customer says we're supposed to be doing. We're, we're in breach of contract in about like 57 different places. And by the way, you've paid a million pound for SIEM that's not monitoring anything, literally zero. 
and you've got contractual loopholes that you're not even aware of where two thirds of the environment's not in scope and you're telling the BBC that it is and, and all this crap. Uh, and you know, I was, I called them like on day two or day three, the client, I said, listen guys, uh, everything here is absolute crap. I'm not even going to bother trying to save this ship. I'm just going to let it sink and build you a new one on the shore. And I'm like, fantastic. You're the first person who's honest with us and has some kind of strategy. And they were buying me beers and burgers the next day, you know, exactly. so customer relationship fixed immediately. And uh, after three months, actually after two weeks, um, they approached me and they said, look, we're having not board level discussion, but executive level discussions about your job. I work, I work for Capita and this is the BBC saying they're worried about me getting sacked because of the sheer amount of stuff that I'm uncovering. Nice. So they was like, okay. And then three months later, things had been resolved. I discovered even more stuff, but you know, we're finding issues, we're resolving issues. And eventually the, um, he was like head of transitions for BBC. And he said, look, we're going to go, and we're going to talk to your boss who was a divisional CISO. And we're going to talk about getting you to report directly to the managing director. So you bypass her and, and talk directly to the managing director because you're of strategic importance to the account. And I mentioned, okay, but what about, you know, three months ago you were saying when I first started, you were saying like you're worried about me getting sacked. And they said, great. After everything that you've discovered and solved and resolved, they couldn't possibly be that fucking stupid verbatim was the sentence they said. Yeah. So they had the meeting and I was fired two days later. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the kind of politics you see in security. Like so much of what we call security is, you know, cloak and dagger makes it sound more interesting than it actually is. It's just a bunch of people going through the motions, but not actually doing anything, anything. of value. Yeah. Running a vulnerability scan, you know, on, on one third of the estate when you don't even know half of what's out there unlimited ports and then dismissing a bunch of stuff because you've deemed that it's what's well, we accept the risk and then you know so i, I excel sheets with risk registers and that kind of stuff the risk I, register is a your ass document and that's it you know oh yeah so i i actually did a um, report on a breach for a company an oil and gas company and they had been breached with uh target targeted phishing and right. The malware that was used actually went into Outlook and created a forwarding rule. So all yeah. email to and from goes to another domain. And these people were interjecting themselves into the communications and changing account numbers to theirs. So I wrote up the report, went to the CISO, and the CISO said, I can't take action on this because if I do, we'll lose our jobs. And I said, well, this is me giving it to you. It's on you. So whatever you do with it, that's you, but I'm, I'm free and clear. You know the problem. And that's another problem is people afraid for their jobs. And CISOs, I find that a lot of CISOs aren't really qualified to handle incidents or to report incidents to the board because they can't communicate the technical level. And he was so afraid of losing his job, he wouldn't introduce me to the board. Uh, but I had like a completely opposite experience just yesterday, um, talking to a German company that I work for and you'll like this, they're creating a hydrogen car. Um, right. And they, they want me to do the uh, security for the communications between the car, the smartphone, et cetera, et cetera. And I get a free car. Um, <laughs> Bonus. Yeah. Silver Falcon is the model. I can't go into the name of the company or, or the board member, but it's a really cool concept. 
Um, and I, I see like forward thinking CISOs and board members more in the UK and Europe than I do in the US. Um, I had an interview with a CISO here that had federal co uh, contracts, DOD service provider. And the entire time he spent on the Zoom interview eating food, did no OSINT on me, had no idea who I was. Um, and when I mentioned that I spoke, he was like, I didn't know you were a speaker. And I'm thinking, dude, you have my resume. Like it's listed. But a lot of those guys, they don't care. They've been appointed by friends, right? They've been brought in by friends and put into a position and they suck up the money. I've, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised to hear you say that you think they're more mature in the UK and Europe because in, in the UK, like they're, most CISOs are astonished at like the, the pay rates in the States are like three times higher. Yeah. You've got salaries of like 300 plus thousand dollars a year. Right. Um, so but the I'm mentality is different. The me mentality is completely different than. Yeah. I, well, I think, you know, the, the American way tends to be a bit more rigid as well. Right. It's Absolutely. just like, this is what we're going to do. And we do it. Mm -hmm. uh, here we kind of, yeah, we maybe push your foot around a bit more, but we put a little bit more thought into it funny enough I, I started well the situation you mentioned where they got into the mailbox and they're redirecting mails and, and changing payment details i had the exact same thing about two years ago and um the, like the exact same thing that's and, like, about while what I was, happened yeah and i remember like while i was investigating i was like can you email them and have them send you the original email with the headers mm-hmm and then we're like waiting for a response. And we're like, we're not getting a response. And I'm like, call them up and ask him about the email. And the guy's like, what email? I'm like, yeah, they're still yeah. in your system. <laughs> so so by any chance was the domain that the email was going to, was it a Bitcoin domain from GoDaddy? I don't think so. I don't remember uh, what it was. This one was like a, a, a Chinese domain that was a Bitcoin domain that was registered through GoDaddy. And I was like, what part of the header does IT not like really get or understand? I mean, why do I have to clean up? <laughs> yeah, no. And I had when quite recently I, when I was asked to to have a look, and uh, it was just a day's work, but it was yeah. Managing director's email account compromised. Mm. Emailed one of his people to to make a payment of. Um, I forget if they changed the payment details. Yeah, it was a, it was a change of payment details. Yeah, exactly. So it was a valid valid invoice, but change of payment details. Yeah, forty thousand pounds out the window. I think ours was like uh, ten thousand. The first, the first hit was ten thousand, and then after that, it went up to like a hundred thousand because we owe this company a lot of money. And the person who interjected, like, they made cash because the head of accounts payable paid it out. I was like, "Are you kidding me right now?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's you know, that's my recommendation to this latest one is like. You know, forget about the tech and the security and everything. Like, just set up a process that whenever you need to send more than ten thousand pounds, call, call the person up. Yeah, okay, you. It could be a deep fake and all that stuff, but it, it's still like a hundred times less likely to to happen. Yeah. So just just really simple stuff. But back simple. to what we're saying, like, yeah, I think like a lot of people in the security space, and I think a lot of people in the security space don't necessarily know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in the more kind of junior to mid levels, um, they know what they're doing, but they don't necessarily understand where they fit in the big picture. And that's fine because that's not necessarily their job. It's at leadership level 
where recently like with club CISO, I've, I've gotten to meet like a lot of good CISOs. But I've, I've come across like a, a lot of bad ones, like a mm. lot. And like you said, you know, very political, it's prestigious, they make money, you know, there's a lot of ego involved. Ego. ego. But they don't necessarily understand what they're doing. They're not able to communicate. Uh, they're basically there because someone told the CEO, you need a CISO. Right. And, and that's it. And there was never that kind of communication and they, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always surprised when, um, like if I'm interviewing, I'm always, most CISOs that I meet, oh, can you hear me? Because my internet connection's unstable apparently. You're good, you're good. So most of the ones I, I meet, it's like, you'll have like a few rounds of, um, of interviews and you'll have like a few technical ones, you know, where you kind of go up to hierarchy and you talk with like the, whatever, the head of IT and the CIO, whatever. And then when you get to like the real, levels that's when they get nervous right I mean, the other way around i get nervous that you know like the it director or whatever is going to be like oh no this guy's not security savvy enough or like oh he doesn't know how to script python or whatever it's like yeah, that's that's not what you mean and then once i get to a co or a cfo or a ceo it's like yeah we're gonna do it like business wise and this and then we can shift that to your marketing and then you can answer this and we're going to build it in so you don't have to build a 50 million pound sock. Uh, we can do some basic detection and response, but do more process engineering to increase the quality and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this makes perfect sense to us. You're the first security person in 10 years that makes sense to us. That, that's a walk in the park. It's, it's getting through the filters to actually talk to those people. And I'm, I'm just, you know, like the, the book I wrote is, it's, I mean, I, I was literally going to call it like Ransom Musings or something like that. Mm. It's just completely common sense stuff. And like the, the number one, I think, word I see in reviews is thought provoking. Like, I mean, that just goes to show how freaking indoctrinated we are when like really common sense stuff is, is thought provoking. And that's why you see people like the, and the hiring as well. Like everybody wants like people with 10 years of experience and like, most people with 10 years of experience in this industry are so indoctrinated. They have their heads so far up their ass uh, through no fault of their own, just because it's what the industry has been telling them for so long that they're unable to look at things objectively. Right. And you can get like a, a, you know, a vet who's just getting out of the military who wants to go into cyber or, you know, some 20 year old, 21 year old kid who just finished college have mm -hmm. a completely different perspective on things. Like right. Don't, don't tell them how to do stuff. Tell him to look at something and what he thinks. Exactly. The, the, the creativity, I think, is, is the biggest part. And when you talk about, like, when people talk about skills gap and people talk about, uh, you know, there's, there's a shortage of workers, the problem is, is when they post a job opportunity for what should be an, an entry level and they want five years experience, you know, why don't they promote within and allow someone who's already there to take that spot and then open up a junior level? I see that worldwide, like all the positions seem to require 10 years experience and they're cutting the newcomers completely out. Yeah. And it's weird. You, you've got no talent pipeline that way. Right. And I, like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it because I, I got into hackers because I watched the movie hackers. Yeah. I mean, it's a crap movie, but Angelina Jolie's in it and the guy scores war games. So what's that? War games was my movie. War games. There you go. Angelina Jolie wasn't in that. <laughs> it didn't have the same appeal. So it was, it was literally like I Yahooed hacking because Google didn't exist yet. You know, it didn't even have a computer at the time. 
bought a computer, started Googling, discovered Linux, started messing around. And, you know, a year later, uh, literally the United Nations Security Council was talking about me because I'm a, I'm a threat to national security uh, and the national security advisor as well in the U.S. So I'm like, how can you go from having z almost zero knowledge to that level of proficiency, you know, in, in a year? Uh, I'll tell you how. I read a book every week or two, mm -hmm. and that's while I was going to school, partying, and getting drunk all the time. Right. So clearly, it's possible. You know, if I if if one week I read a book about Linux, one week I read a book about Windows, Active Directory, TCP/IP routing, you know, Red Hat manual, installing Red Hat. Like, oh. remember the books that were like super thick and had like five CDs to install? Red yeah, Hat? <laughs> I remember like TCP/IP Illustrated. Yeah. ironically because there were very few illustrations in that book volume one two and three all three of them were like yeah. thousand page monsters uh you know re reading that when you're 16 17 years old just because you're curious mm. you know if you read something like that every week or two you're reading you know 50 pages a day 100 pages a day tops you know an hour in the evening mm. you, you can absorb knowledge for you know after a year you you know you, you know you know linux bsd whatever and you know well i, I want to know how you know send mail at the time worked, how bind at the time worked, and how does DNS work, how does that work, how does an HTTPS server work, how does Apache work? Um, you know, you just, oh, I, I want to know, you know, I said, awk, uh, all, all these scripting tools and programming language and syntax and just pick up a book and learn it. And I'm like, why, why do people think that this is so difficult? Why do you think, why do exactly. they think you need 10 years of experience for this? Right. And I've just, I've just never gotten it. So when I, like I hire for like junior, even what most people would consider mid-level positions, it's like, yeah, this, you know, this kid's keen, I'll have him. Yeah. And, or her, you know, him, her, or even if it's an older guy, if he still has that keenness and he's curious, because um, I know that I went from zero to that level in a year's time. And that's, you know, when I was when I wasn't playing video games or getting drunk at parties and going to school, so right. um, I, I might not expect you to do it on day one, but you know if I create a right the right environment where people have time to do stuff and enjoy it and and can feed their curiosity as much as they want. Yeah, so that, that brings up a, a, an interesting point. So when I hire people or interview people, I don't look at certifications. I throw the resume in the trash and I build a virtual network with VulnHub images and let them go at it and have them write me a short report of what they found in two hours. That, that's what I want to see. I want to see creativity. I want to see how they think, how they operate and how professionally they can like produce a product. But it seems like a lot of companies rely on bullshit certifications that mean nothing other than yeah. the fact that they know how to study for a test. And they look at your background. Oh, can this guy get a clearance? I, I recently had a company call me and wanted to give me a job working for DHS. And I was like, you have not done any homework as to <laughs> who I am because that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I look at the creativity. To me, I can teach a monkey to, to sit behind a keyboard and do what we do. Um, yeah. But I can't, I can't teach a monkey that creativity or, or that mindset. And to yeah. me, that's the most important because, you know, I need to know that my teammates can like think on the fly and exactly. a certification doesn't prove that. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I remember it was like it was in those contracting days. I was getting certifications, and I was I was literally like I was going to the testing center, and then I would I would take the test on the computer, and then I would on my way home stop at Borders or Barnes and Noble back then. Yeah, um, pick up the book, and then the next week or max two weeks later, do the next test. I remember like um, Cisco. At, I think it was like late nineties. Cisco had CNA or CCNA. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was like CCNA, CCNP, which was like three plus a CCNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, they had a LAN and WAN track as well, and all this other stuff. Uh, yeah, CCDP, CCN, CCDA, CCDP, all these things. But there are about a dozen different exams, and there were more than that. For, they were they were refreshing all of them, so there were beta versions, which meant mm-hmm. you could take them for free. Yeah. But if you passed them, you still got the cert. Right. And I, I, in the space of sixteen weeks, got fourteen certifications. Yeah. You know, it was just yeah. like every night reading for an hour, going through the book, and then going going to take the test. I remember like my my CISM test. I just couldn't be asked to read the book anymore. I was I still had like a hundred pages to go, and I was like on the steps of the testing center in the morning. I was like, eh, fuck it, wing it. Yeah, so uh, I, I, went I, in. Ch- I challenged Sanserts, like five of them in one day, and passed them, and I got put on an audit because I thought I cheated. I was like, no, <laughs> your tests suck. They really suck. Yeah. And so Cham is having the same problem, right? So she's studying for the uh, CEH, and a lot of the interviews they have, they're looking for more senior people who really the jobs are entry level. Like it makes no sense at all. They want, yeah. they want like multiple certifications and somebody starting out is not going to have multiple certifications. You know, those are expensive and really like certifications has become its own industry where these diagrams now where they lay them all out. There's hundreds of them. Yes, man. What the hell is this? And it's expensive. It's like $5,000 for boot camp. And yeah, I've, I've never, I've never done a course. I've always just bought the book and taken the test. I've just taken the test. <laughs> Screw the book. Yeah, yeah. I the, I took. Um, it wasn't five, but it was the CISSP. You know how there's like the ISS, EP, MP, and AP specializations. Yep. I took all three in one shot, with the time allowed. But the time allowed was still only for one, so I did all three, and I was actually the second person to finish. And the first guy that finished, he was a bit smug because he finished five minutes ahead of me. And he's like, hey, which exam did you do? I was like, I did all three. <laughs> so, but, you know, I've let them all expire because they don't, they don't really they don't mean anything. Anymore. Yeah, they don't mean anything. And I have people approach me on LinkedIn wanting to sell me certifications. What certification are you interested in? I'm like, none. Quit contacting me. Because it's, no. it's a full-blown business now. They make money off of making people recertify and making their certifications a standard within a certain niche of the industry, which I think is totally wrong. It's um, hack the Gibson. I love that. <laughs> That's so old school. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's such it's such big business now, and it's and like and you know it goes back to that push for standardization where you have all these people yeah. who benefit from it because it's business, it's money for them advocating that oh you need these skills you need these standards no you just need someone who's got a freaking brain who can think yeah so we started a company in london called cryptasec 
And we had a couple companies contact us and say, Hey, look, you know, we need a pen test. Are you guys Crest certified? I'm like, yeah. no, first of all, I'm American. I don't give a shit about Crest. And yeah. <laughs> second of all, what does that really prove other than liability? You know, I, I remember, I remember that and that, I actually, I was, I was going to do a talk and I ended up adding this completely random slide uh, to it just because of what you'd just been through. Mm-hmm. And it was like, who is the better driver? Yeah, yeah. Got, I remember the guy that. who managed to get his, his Chrysler on, on a rooftop somewhere somehow. And then you had a picture of Max Verstappen driving an F1 car. Well, Max yeah. Verstappen is too young to have a driver's license. But this guy with his Chrysler on someone's roof clearly has a license. So right. according to the certification lobby, the guy with the Chrysler on the roof is the better driver. That's yeah. just not the case. And that was Man- I think that was Manchester, the future cybersecurity. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, can you just just Google someone's name? That'll tell you more than any sort of. <laughs> to, so, especially when you've got the reputation you have. So far in all of my interviews in the past, I guess three months, nobody has checked my background. I was on a call with uh, a leader of a German company. And he wanted to know my background. He looked at my LinkedIn. He, he'd been following me for a while and saw my post. He's like, yeah, I'm really interested. I want to hire you. Tell me more about your background. And I simply responded with just Google Mike Jones hacker and let's talk. So while we're on the phone, while we're zooming, yeah. he's like looking it up and he's like, oh shit, that's you. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And more companies need to look at that because you know, even though I turned you know, I flipped and I, I became an advocate for helping kids out and helping companies. There's other people out there who aren't like that. Yeah. And these companies are, are hiring those people without doing any kind of OSINT at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, you were saying earlier, like, you don't even look at resumes. Mm. Like, I'll, I'll look at a resume quickly, but I've, I've I'll, you know, a quick scan through it just to get like... To, honestly to try and get some flavor, but I, I, I usually don't. Yeah. And I really advocate to everyone like network, like what everyone's like, what, what can I do? You know, what, what should I be doing? And they're asking me, you know, what they should be learning, what certifications, forget about it. Go yeah. out and network. Go on so, network. so that well, brings up a good point. Our manager can know who you are as a person. Exactly. So that brings up a good point. I've talked about that as well as like get to know your people. So we have a lot of people who are, on the podcast who are new to the industry, some of them haven't even got a, like their first certification. What would your advice be to someone looking to get into the comp- to get into the industry or someone who's looking to, you know, maybe find some interest in a certain area? What would you suggest? See, it's, I would, I would suggest getting some certifications. Mm-hmm. Um, for just, to rewind a bit on the, on the topic of certifications, I think, you know, certifications per se aren't necessarily a bad thing. If I, if I, if I see someone that is, but security is a different animal. Um, so I think like product specific certifications, like, okay, you're, you're certified on Fortinet or AWS or Kubernetes or that tells, or, you know, even MCSE that tells me you understand that product really well. But security isn't a product. So all those certifications are really generic. Um, and, and that's where they miss the boat. So that, that's one. So I think, you know, like 
you know, all, all the Cisco certifications I had, I think they were generally good because if I get a job working on Cisco gear, then that's exactly what I, I know how to do all those things where security is like, it's, it's everything and anything. Uh, it's more a way of thinking than, than anything else. What I would recommend, it's tricky, man, because I remember like early 2000s, you know, well, yeah, you, you, you get your CISSP, you get, you get your, your, CISA, yes, your CISA, your CISM, mm. you know, that, that was about it. Now there's so many and it's regional as well. So yeah. again, you know, rest here. India. Um, yeah. Um, India's got its own like set of security certifications. I don't even know which ones are legitimate or not. <laughs> Ridiculous. So it's, um, it's tricky. I mean, I would, I would say maybe look at the job specs and see what people want and get it just to get through the door. I mean, literally just to get through the door. But again, I would, I would say I was ultimately it's all about networking. Um, because if you have enough of a network, People will look you up on LinkedIn and realize, oh shit, yeah, yeah this, this person's got a lot of followers, clearly knows the stuff, a lot of recommendations, a lot of this, a lot of that. Uh, you know, in my case, published a book, uh, does public speaking, you know, you see content, you know, like Lapai, do where, you know, places that I have done interviews with and podcasts with that advertise you. So they like, they say, oh, this person's connected, respected, knows their shit. Then they stop asking about certifications. Um, so that, that's really important until you reach that, then yeah, that certification is probably going to help you open some doors when I was contracting. That's why I got loads of certifications because people want a certification now. Yeah, exactly. What Frenchie just said, nine out of 10 times, if, if you can get in the door, you prove your worth, you're fine. And, and again, networking like LinkedIn, um, yeah. I, I got a bunch of, of certifications, but it was, it was to win contracts, basically. It was not, none of it helped me do my, my job. I mean, some of them helped, but it wasn't the security ones. Like I did the, I, I think one of the most useful certifications I ever did was the um, project management professional. Because you learn how to manage projects and you learn how project managers think and how projects work. And you learn a lot of lingo that's actually relevant to, to more kind of senior management teams and, um, I've actually adapted a lot of the concepts and how I build a security framework. So it's more relatable to them just to ease that communication, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the analogy I use now, and I was, I was actually asked for four certifications for a role a couple months ago. Mm. And I said, I've got nothing. I, I used to have some, but now I've got nothing. And, and the analogy I always use is it's like a driver's license. If you're, whatever, say in the States, you're 16 years old, you don't know how to drive, you go, you take a, you know, you, you get the pamphlet, a little book, you learn the rules, you, you learn how to drive from A to B, what the different controls do, and you learn the skills to, you know, basically get you from, operate a motor vehicle to get you from A to B. Right. And you pass, you know, you take a test and then you get your certification, which is your driver's license. If 20 years later you drive the same way you did on your test, you're a shit driver. You're a fail. You should not be driving that way anymore. You should have learned from experience in that. Right. Uh, and the, the guy, he was like, he laughed. He was like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. And the funny, the thing I love about using that analogy is that afterwards, when the same people go and talk to other people who've talked themselves up because of how, how many certifications they have, mm. they remember my analogy is like, 
this guy drives like a 16 year old. Yeah. That's not what I want. <laughs> you know? He's going to do security like someone who's just, just barely knows what the pedals do. Um, you know, you have, uh, I think it, I don't know. I think, I think experience, experience matters kind of in, in I don't think experience matters in tech. You, you either understand the tech or you don't. Yeah. I think where the experience comes in is, is more like the soft skills, how to manage your own confidence. You learn how to communicate, how things work from the tech standpoint doesn't change. Right. You know, so, you're, so you're the, in a book when you're 16 and you get it, right. it makes no difference. You know, 20 years later, it's still the same. So the way I work it, um, I try to like look at different exploits every week to yeah. keep myself up to date. Right. Because we're getting older. We're not always going to be on top of, you know, the newest trends or zero days, but I try to stay like as relevant as I can. Um, developing new stuff. But I tell newcomers that, you know, if you, if you take time out of your personal schedule and research at least one vulnerability a week, you're light years ahead of most people. Yeah. Because they, they won't do it that, you know, they'll do what's required for the job and that's it. Yeah. I, I don't get that. Like a lot of people are, you know, I, I always got flack because I didn't go to college or I didn't study this stuff or I didn't study. Me too. Yep. Like, no, it's the opposite. I actually studied it. I mm. researched it. I sought it out. I read the man pages. I Googled, I Wikipedia it. I built you, it. Yeah. You went somewhere and sat in a lecture hall for like two hours out of the week and just took in some of what some person talked at you. You didn't do your own research. You didn't fact check. You didn't validate, you know, I, I spent all the time sucking up the knowledge. You only spent some of it moaning, rolling out of bed, going to the lecture hall and have, you know, and, and sticking to just what's in your textbook. You, you didn't go any further than that. So I think that's, um, that's the, um, that's a good point, actually. Um, you know, I, I look the, at guys. The pace of learning, if you self learn, is 10 times higher than if you go to university. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I actually remember, you're bringing back a lot of memories now. I remember being, I think about 20, 21 years old. And my, my friend, maybe 22, I don't know. But my friends were just finishing, eh, even 20, like my friends were finishing college and university, which I'd never gone to. I dropped out of high school. And they'd gone off to study for, you know, two, three, four years. And then I kind of reconnected with them when they, they finished. And I'm like, what, what you learned in four years, I, I learned three and a half years ago yeah. that have been going on ever since. So it was like, I, I've literally, like in four years, you learned what I learned in maybe four or five months. Yeah. So going over like your career and, and everything you've been through, if you could give one simple piece of advice to somebody that is just entering our space, knowing the trials and tribulations we've been through, what would it be? I think I said it already. It's, it's network. It's, it's really network. I, I wouldn't, I'd say, yeah, build, you have to, and I think a lot of us are introverts. So this is, this is difficult. It's hard. You have to build yeah. a reputation. You have mm -hmm. to build the brand. Um, 
And this is not necessarily through experience and the stupid idea that people have that experience is a number of a unit of time. Right. As we just said, depending on how much you, you put yourself into it, how much you achieve in a period of time can vary hugely. Um, you, you have to build that brand you, and you can shortcut that by, by creating stuff. If you, if you publish papers and articles or code stuff or create exploits or papers or um, the, the more you contribute, the more people will see your experience. It doesn't have to be work for someone else. Um, that's really important. I think the, the beauty of that is you start, you start creating that brand, that reputation. People know what you do. Exactly. You're not, you're not a security or an analyst or this or that. You're a Mike Jones and people know what Mike Jones. He does a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a lot of this, a lot of that. It's its own thing. But because you have that brand and, and reputation, people know it and will grab you for those things. Exactly. So once, once you achieve that, you don't have to fit that mold of, oh, you're a junior analyst or, oh, you're a sock engineer. Oh, you're this, which we've siloed the crap out of it. I don't even know what the rules mean anymore. I, it annoys me. I like, to, I like to make up titles just so that my people don't have one of those generic ones. Yeah. I mean, like some of the companies I've been talk to, talking to, like they want me to create my own role, which I think is really respectable. You know, they, they understand the, the value and they know where I can decide where I can fit in and help. Um, and I think that's where we get to our level, but juniors, you know, definitely get your, your basic certification and move on from that. So Greg, yeah, for real. So, so where are you speaking next? I know that I speak in January in London for the future of cybersecurity. Are you speaking at that one as well? I don't know. <laughs> I'm losing track. And I keep, yeah. like, I, I got, I spoke at Black Hat, um, what, two days ago? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was like, I think it was on, no, it was on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spoke at Black Hat on Tuesday. Um, it, was, it was Jane Franklin who invited me like last second because somebody dropped out. Nice. Did, nice. Didn't even have slides. So just like, like here's a notepad. You're winging it. <laughs> um, Gosh, I did, I'm, it's weird now because it's. I want to say we do we do future cybersecurity in January with Frank Abagnale. I know I know me and um, Brett Johnson are doing like a, I guess like a podcast live for for that conference. But I think either you or Kevin are also going to be on there. Yeah, I know. So I did I did the last future of cybersecurity. I can't remember what the hell it was about be honest we actually did the one in manchester together and then i dropped yeah. off and you and kevin did one together no we didn't do them did we do the manchester one yeah like you, last yeah yeah so i ran off the stage early and colonel what what's his name like tried to catch me before i left the stage yeah um, yeah like, I, I mean i was there but i wasn't talking at that one uh i talked to him one i was supposed to talk at the london one but they didn't have the money um, it was supposed to be a two for one deal and they had me do the free one and that's never, and that's a totally different topic. Like the <laughs> I haven't been paid to speak is in- yeah. Yeah. Speak, speaking is not what it's cracked up. To be, kid. <laughs> Especially now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I make sure you get paid. I mean, I'll happily take less money, but get paid in advance now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I still do most of them for free, to be honest. I, I don't yeah. really mind. Um, 
I, I realize that I'm putting a lot of my time into it mm -hmm. uh, for nothing sometimes, yeah. but yeah. No, I did, I did one. No, I, I did. I did a virtual one for future of cybersecurity a month ago. I want to say, mm. uh, I can't remember. And they'd asked me to do that one and another one, but then they, they would only confirm this one. Yeah. Uh, no, no. So I don't know what. I may uh, have one in Russia before too long and cool. they're looking for another spot. So maybe we could share like a live conversation between the two of us for that, for that conference. Yeah. I'm happy to. That's cool. Cool. Yeah, Russia is an interesting one. I've not not been exposed to that much yet. Yeah. So, um, and and then the uh, the documentary coming out. Well, it's not coming out, but it's being filmed in January. I've got R Snake on it. I don't know if you know R Snake, Robert Hansen. Um, he's going to be on the documentary, and I'm also extending you know the, you the offer to jump on, be interviewed. Um, yeah. When? Then, sorry, R Snake. When was he active? Because I feel like I know the handle. You do. He, he's always been active. He does the web hacking. Um, him and Jeremiah Grossman started uh, White Hat. I feel like I know Arsnake from like the IRC days. Yeah, you do. Or, or sure. somebody else had that yeah. handle. Yeah. So I have to get a list of names together and contacts and thought maybe you would want to jump in on that because of our connection with Millworm and, and stuff like that. Um, but that starts in January. And you know, anything else that, that I can help you out with as far as like the US side, I'm more than open to. Yeah, um, but, it'd be cool to get more exposure there, to be honest, uh, get, but, get the message out. Yeah. I just hope we don't all get raided again. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I live on the top of a mountain <laughs> where they, they would have to catch me first. I don't, I don't remember what I signed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing your experience with some of the newer people. And, and it, it's really valuable. And the conversations that we have, like people getting into the industry really need to hear. So um, I've recorded this. It's going to go on to YouTube and so on and so forth. But I really appreciate it, Greg. Yeah, you're, you're totally welcome. I don't know if you have a time limit or uh, I'm, I'm happy to keep talking even. But, uh... Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to do a the USB rubber ducky hack. Um, if you want to sit on, on that. Yeah, I'll sit in. Okay. Cool, cool. Okay, so we'll roll into that really quick um, and then we can do open discussion. So I will post in the chat. Y'all stop putting stuff in the chat window for a second so I can post this. Um, it is a document to go with what I am doing. Um, it's really simple, but it's very effective. I've tested on several companies and they fail completely. So what we start out with, um, Hack5 produces a, a tool called the Rubber Ducky. And for all intents and purposes, it's a computer that's literally this small um, and runs off of an SD card right here. Um, and so what I did was I created a, a web server and hosted a PowerShell script. And we'll go over that document really quick uh, to teach you guys how to do it. Um, I suggest you don't do this on your company's network, um, but I can't control what you do. So what this does, it takes advantage of the human factor. Um, Stuxnet, really important uh, point here. Stuxnet was um, 
utilized and it functioned off of a USB that was dropped literally in a parking lot. So somebody took something similar to this and plugged in a computer and it melted down a lot of functions. Um, and what we're looking at is PowerShell, right? So um, what, what you need for this attack is of course the rubber ducky, micro SD. Um, we used Microsoft Windows 7 for this attack, Kali and Netcat. And so the attack is really simple, right? We hosted a PowerShell script on a web server. It could be on the internet, it could be local on that LAN, wherever. So basically what happens is you plug in this little device, um, it goes out and it uses like a wget type of command through PowerShell and it goes over port 80 to grab the PowerShell script that initiates the backdoor. Um, that backdoor, on this example, I ran through on port 444 or 443, but you can hide it within web traffic so nobody can see it. Um, originally, when I did this attack, uh, there, I added some stuff to it, some encryption, um, some AV evasion, and CrowdStrike ended up buying it from me. Uh, I can't disclose the, the, the type of stuff I added to it, but it's the same attack. So basically what happens, you plug in the, the, the USB and it literally takes like two seconds for the script to run. Um, you don't see the window, you don't see the commands, and automatically it creates a backdoor uh, with a Netcat listener on whatever port you specified. With PowerShell, you can then go into scheduling a job where every time that computer starts, it goes back out, it recreates that session. That session. Um, so I showed you the board of the rubber ducky. Um, and this is what the actual rubber ducky looks like when it's put together. So you can see like it looks like a normal USB. And again, it takes, it takes advantage of people's curiosity and really stupidity and they'll pick up the USB. You leave it in a break room at a company, nine times out of 10, somebody will plug this in. And before they know it, I have admin PowerShell on their system. Uh, and then you go into some of the other attacks that I went over last time with exfiltrating data through DNS or through VoIP. Um, it's really effective. So now that you have like the rundown and the actual document, I highly suggest you go over the document, create your own virtual lab through VirtualBox and recreate the code is all there step-by-step step, um, and run it and learn how it works because social engineering works the best. And when you can incorporate an actual device with social engineering, 100% effective. I've never been on a pen test where I have not been effective with an actual device. Um, I told a story last time of when I did a casino pen test and I left a land turtle sitting on a table in the admin's office and they happened to plug it in and it did a WPAD solicitation and I got all the NTLM hashes across the network, including domain credentials and the pen test was over in one day. Um, so follow the steps in the document and if you have questions, email me. 
Um, and I'm going to open it up for questions for Greg, for myself, um, and just in general. If you guys want to hear about something specific or you want to dive deeper, put it in the chat box. And I'm going to ask that everybody unmute. So. Good morning. Ryan. Good morning. Hey. So I see Ryan. Ryan asked if there's a GUI. A no, GUI. No, 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 no. There was just a line. I should have scrolled down, man. Sorry. I okay. Read what I'm... <laughs> no worries. No worries. So questions for Greg. I don't know shit, so don't ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> yeah, just in case you guys are feds. So, link. What link are you looking for, Kim? I think the the PowerShell link is the the text files gone up the chat a bit too far. Okay, I'll I'll repost it. Um, also, we're going to put together a website. I just registered the domain actually for a dollar, which was really cheap. Um, <laughs> nice. And we have our graphic designer working on some of the graphics and as well as t-shirts, right? So I'm actually wearing the prototype for the t-shirt with the thumbprint on the back. And, kind of hard and to see. in Australia, somehow the logo ends up on the side of a building like poster size. Not That's sure how. Poster. Yeah, dude, it was legit. I, I saw that post. I was just scrolling through my phone, right? And I just saw the picture. I didn't see the haunted hacker little like text and I didn't see that it was your post. I just saw this like hooded hacker kind of thumbprint thing and it just reminded me of you immediately. Like I had no idea it was even your post or that it was about this this podcast. Yeah, so yeah, so what's cool is like it's kind of like a movement, right? So you, you know my story. The government took everything from me, right? Yeah, stole my identity, basically just made me a zero. So the only thing I have left personally that they can't take is my thumbprint. So I'm giving it to them. Take it. You know, you're not going to stop me by taking all my info. Um, so it's kind of started like a semi movement of like transparency and, you know, fuck the government for what they do, um, especially to somebody who's a two time veteran. So I was really surprised. Like I woke up to, I think it was like six in the morning. I woke up to this post of this poster of my thumbprint on a building in Australia. And I was like really shocked. I was like, that is probably the coolest thing anybody's ever done for me ever. Cause that was a nice poster. I mean, someone took the time to make that. Yeah. Yeah. For real. I was like, yeah, please, please send me the PDF. Wasn't that poster like opposite a uh, police station? as well yeah yeah it was right across from a police station so not only does the police station have the visual but they also have my twitter handle so they can come like queering me and i'm like yo dude i'm in the u.s i don't know what you're talking about Brilliant police would love you mm -hmm. police in the <laughs> actually let, let me let me let me explain that so the police in europe and uk and germany absolutely love me police in the u.s not so much. FBI, oh, US, not so much. Talking about people getting fucked. How's their hook group, Greg? 
They're great. <laughs> not not going to say anything for now. There's uh, there's some conciliation going on. I mean, I've I've basically washed them off already, but um, um, I, I've I've basically I've already pledged. I don't know if you saw, but any any settlement money that comes out of them, I'm just going to give it all to charity. It's kind of like mm. it's you know blood money is an extreme term, but I've, I've gotten so many messages from like former and current employees um, where it's just like Jesus Christ, like, what, what's going on in there? Is is just awful. And I don't want their money. Uh, yeah, sure, I want money, but I don't want their money. So uh, I, I'm hoping that a decent settlement comes out. Uh, I'm hoping, looking forward to uh, to doing some good stuff with it. Charity wise, awesome. not for myself. Yeah. yeah you know what you could really do. Nice. You know what you could do, Greg, is donate that money to the London Met Police for their intervention program. I could. Yeah, I could definitely give part of it to that for sure. Yeah. One thing that's funny is I keep seeing. Uh, I keep seeing THG hiring people. I don't know how many people here in the UK are even know this company. There, there's always like, oh, we have a new position, join, you know, an exciting time, blah, blah, blah. But it never says a growing team. Like they're constantly hiring because the turnover is so bad. They've, they have like a security team of like 16 people. They've replaced 32 of them in the last two years. That's crazy. <laughs> so uh, the last podcast we did, there was an incident, right? So there was a guy who was involved with a tool that's probably, I don't know, 20 years old. Um, and they like threatened me like publicly with a wrench, like publicly on Twitter, threatened to come get me. Um, so these are the type of things that, that we deal with, like harassment. Uh, when you get to a certain level, things change. And I didn't expect it to be like that. Uh, so I have to be like really careful of, you know, who I let into the podcast and who talks and, and what happens. Um, and it's sad, man, because, you know, I look at the industry as like a big family, right? So I'm close with Rich Roberts and, and Ralph Eshmandia and multiple people who I've been with for tons of years, but there are people out there and I, I want newcomers to understand this is that there, there are people out there that will target you because of your success. Um, so just, you know, keep your eyes open and choose wisely who you communicate with. I feel blessed because I, I look at like my personal network and you know, personally and on LinkedIn, whatever. Mm -hmm. And most of the people, the, the vocal ones that I noticed, they're all freaking great. You know, yeah. most of them are really, really great. Um, I know Lisa, but, I know Lisa's had some problems. Oh yeah. She's, she's got trolled like heavily. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, but I, I don't just, understand why people do this. Right. Yeah, like in your case, the guy threatening you, that is totally not acceptable. It really with, isn't. With a wrench. And what's surprising is that somebody threatens you like that and either it's either because they're either jealous or whatever, or they really don't have a clue who you are. Yeah. You know, I mean, on the backlash, you could, if you wanted, you could make that person's life really difficult for them if you wanted to, you know. But on the other hand, when, when I speak to people, my thing is always, if you're going to have a chat with somebody, you're never going to agree with what everybody, you know, what they all say. But, you know, we have a difference of opinion about games, you know, but we have a sensible discussion about it. You know, we just talk about it. You put your point forward, I put my point forward. We don't agree. Fair enough, you know. But if you're going to put something forward to somebody, always put something forward that's that's 
how would you say, um, constructive. You know, don't diss somebody. If you don't like something that somebody says, either just say, well, okay, I don't agree with your opinion, but always try and say, well, I don't agree with it because of this, so I think this would be better or whatever. You know, if people would do that, it'd be a whole lot better. And Greg, to you, you know, the stuff that you've been putting up with recently, I mean, again, that's completely not acceptable, but it also says a lot about the culture in the company. And yeah. I've worked in oil and gas, and oil and gas have a really bad culture, mm. right? They actually blacklist people if they don't like you. Yeah. Wow. You know? I mean, if, if, to be honest, like I've got some... Um, big surprise I had was... Uh, did I see that William Price is on this call, actually? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So William was was kind enough to invite me to uh, to speak on something, and like I don't know who it was exactly, but you know other um, I don't know if it was other participants or speakers, whatever. You know, started saying you know that there was like I was like anti LGBT and this and that and and sexist and misogynist and all this stuff just to try and get me pulled off there. And I'm like, and that was from like people within the security industry. So there, there's definitely people out there. Some people, I think they don't even realize that they're doing it. Um, they just become very kind of polarized politically on one topic and they can't see you know, the forest from the trees. And if, if someone says something objective, you know, if, as soon as someone says something that's objective as opposed to their specific way of looking at it, then, oh no, you're not with me. So you're against me. So you're evil, you're the bad one. And they just, it's you know, black and white for them. Uh, you, can't, you can't have people saying that. You know, to you, you know, yeah. everybody will have different opinions. But I think in some of the stuff that I've been hearing, I mean, you know, people have been saying, oh, we're not going to do anything about it. I think in some cases, some of these people maybe need to be named because other people need to realize what they're doing so that people can become aware of it, maybe before it yeah. happens to them, or to make it aware that maybe people have maybe seen this person in one light and then they've got another light that they've directed towards you or to you or to, I mean, you know, yeah, but you yeah. cross into a you cross into a dangerous situation when you yeah. do that, though because the person I'm referring to comes from a hacking group, right? So, <laughs> when, when, you, when, when you try to bring that person forward, um, yeah, they'll go and attack you. It starts a battle war, and yeah. I don't know if you've seen like the the documentary Hacker Wars. Like, it could literally spur like some really bad shit. Oh yeah. Um, oh, I understand that. I, this is what I'm saying. I could, I could really see how you know, like, like I was saying with your one, you could go and attack that person, mm -hmm. you know, literally. Yeah. You know, and, and things. But you know, I'm not saying you would, but I'm just saying you know, because you've got the skill set, you can. And these people that you're talking about would be the same as well. They would have the skill set to be able to do that. Right. But I think in some of the places that you see, like just generally, not thinking of it, but like in the security industry, the people that work. As you were saying before, people in the positions, right? right? A lot of the stuff that I see is people have become ingrained in a position. So they don't move forward, but they're also there to, like in the oil and gas industry, you put some of my comment earlier. It's basically oil and gas industry, the key to it is cover your arse, you know? So you cover yourself for anything that goes on. So basically if something comes down on you, slips off of your shoulder and falls on somebody else. Yeah. Right? But, but when you're you know, that, when you're a speaker and you have a, like a like a public presence i guess it takes one person to ruin somebody's reputation mm -hmm. um or to cause oh, yeah. people to like think about you know situations um so those are like mm -hmm. you know you you really have to maintain and have a circle of trust around you 
to look after what's well, going on. You have to trust everybody that you, you feel close. So, so the CIA, when, it, when the CIA goes into like a theater, right, they have trusted individuals and assets that they control. Um, same thing with the hacking community. Um, when I started with Anonymous, uh, I had people around me who monitored communications that may have been like negative towards me or, or threatening towards me. And I do the same now because now I have public presence and same thing. You know, I get a threat. I have to deploy people to watch my back. Uh, and it's sad that we do that in our industry, but that's the, yeah. the, the tall poppy uh, situation for the industry. I'm going to step out for a second. Greg, you can answer any questions you want, or you guys can talk amongst yourselves. I'll be back in like two minutes. Sure. Yeah. yeah, for me, it was, you know, just finish kind of expand on what I was saying before. Like, I, I think, yeah, I mean, we have a, a great community overall. Uh, but I think it's, you know, we, we surround ourselves without realizing with people who are, you know, with the people we want. Uh, I, I try to make an effort to not, you know, normally you say like-minded, but I try to make an effort not to be only with the like-minded. I like to connect with um, people from other industries and stuff as well. But uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely some people out there who are uh, very yeah. defensive, very bitter. Um, I think there's some people, there's a lot of people who are jealous. Like if you hold a high, if you hold a position or if you get a position, and I think probably your thing with PhD, I think probably comes under this, where you come in, you join a company, and then somebody in there feels threatened by you. You know, and they seem yeah. to think, oh, you're coming to take their job or get rid of them or whatever. And it's like, well, no, you've been brought in to do a job. You know, and the whole point is when you join a company, you want to be working in a team where you can trust the people you work with. You don't want to be covering your back with the people you actually work with. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because I, I, I knew some of the internal politics, and it was a bit weird. And I was, so there's, there's one person there in particular, um, and I always joked like long before I was even interested in working for the company, but just knowing about the company because they're quite big here, obviously, and knowing several people that worked there or used to work there, you you hear the stories about this particular sea level, and it's like, whose sex tape does he have? Because there's no way you would keep. You know, this is like a company that's quite rigid about you don't perform, you're out. Like they don't tolerate slackers or or poor performance, and they're quite draconian about it. And this person just everyone says that they're awful and you know i i had my second interview with the co-founder of the company and the cfo and i'm like you have serious cultural issues in your security organization and he goes oh you mean and the guy's name so it's like how is it that everyone in you know every c-level person in the company knows that this guy's really really bad but he's still there and when I was first exactly. approached, I was like, I don't want to come work for you guys because you already have someone in charge of security. And I hear terrible things and I want to be able to set the direction and I don't want to be, you know, subvergent to, to his culture or whatever. Like I want to be able to change things. I want to be able to take care of my people, the people who automatically become my people in my own way. I want us to be able to, you know, do what I think is right. And I just don't feel like I'd be able to do that. And THG's own recruiters were like, yeah, actually, we, we recognize that. And that's why we're kind of looking for a group CISO type thing to control this person. So I'm like, well, why do you need someone to control them? It was a question that hadn't really dawned to me at, at the time. But the more I hear about how this person got there, the nepotistic relationships, the abuse, the bullying, all this other stuff, and how this, the turnover is just absurd when this person just keeps being protected 
Um, seen, seen that here up in the oil and gas industry with management like that. Yeah. What I don't understand is how has that person managed to retain their position when clearly would be you know losing staff hand over fist. I, oh, they, I, they, I mean, they're losing, they're losing more than that. I heard of uh, I heard of the, the CISO of one uh, large uh, retail group uh, tell me that um, they were going to host all their brands on THG's platform. Uh, and then they had, they did their due diligence and started talking to them and they backed out of a 10 million a year deal because of just how bad the security was. And I've heard like other people on the SOC, just like, we like bring more like basic things. Like we should have a password policy and the CISO didn't care. Like it doesn't have the first, not my words. It doesn't have the first clue about running a security organization. Right. Um, so, so I had firsthand experience with oil and gas and how bad it really is. Um, the oil and gas industry as a whole is probably infected with the most ransomware and the most back doors than yeah, any industry I've ever seen. I, I scanned probably a hundred uh, ocean based platforms that had Mimikatz on the platforms. Yeah. And I was given the explanation of, Oh, well sometimes we use that for password, like password uh, breaking or if someone forgets a password. But what they don't understand is I can access Mimikatz and do my own shit. So the oil and gas, oil and gas industry as a whole is so far behind the curve of security that I spent most of my time filling out reports and dealing with law enforcement as far as child pornography goes. Like it's horrible. Oh um, yeah. I can, and that's industry wide. Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. And again, it's, this goes all the way back to probably when PCs first appeared. Um, you know, so we're going back to the 80s. And the popular thing used to be, um, obviously, people would email porn pictures to each other and that sort of stuff and things. And at the end of the day, it's a culture that's become embedded. And now I think it would be exceptionally difficult to get rid of it. You know, without treading on a lot of toes. Well, and I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people in the oil and gas are known to be quite vindictive if you get on the wrong side of them. Like, as in, if your face doesn't fit. Yeah, so I have, a, I have a unique story about oil and gas as far as how they treat their employees. I was sent over to the UK to build a sock, um, buy a flat. Uh, they were paying for everything. And then midstream decided... Um, one, we didn't authorize it. Two, I don't know what you're talking about. And three, you know, you're stuck there. So they quit paying for my flat. Um, the security department that I was working for ended up dissolving midstream. Um, so I had to find other ways to survive. And that's where I got into speaking and actually got involved with the community. But, you know, it's funny, like we talk about CISOs, right? So the CISO I was working for would get on the phone with clients and say, or potential clients and say, Oh, I've been working cybersecurity for 30 years. And I'm like, dude, you cannot claim cybersecurity for 30 years. That, that would be 1970. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're talking like punch cards, bro. Like that didn't happen. Um, but that's what <laughs> I dealt with. And he was so, it wasn't called that. It wasn't even called security. You know? No. So he, he was worried about losing his job. 
and he claimed that he worked for the NSA at the same time my father did. Um, I cross-checked that with my dad, and my dad was like, no, I, I know nothing about that. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of fake credentials in oil and gas, and there's a lot of people who are really book smart. Like, I give them that much. They're really, really book smart um, because yeah. the budget's there for training. But when you put them behind a monitor and a, you know, a SIM or an AI platform, they fail. Um, yep. Going back to the interview I had with a CISO for a DOD contractor, uh, I asked him what, what platforms they worked with. And he said, oh, we used to work with Darktrace. And I was like, oh, well, great. You know, I know those guys. You know, I've done some work for them. I've helped them, like, push their product and kind of mature it a little bit with my exploits. And he was like, well, it doesn't really help us. And it's, you know, it's a POS and we're getting rid of it. And I was like, dude, what, you know, I don't understand. Like if you put that platform into a network that's already hosed, you're going to get shit results. Like it's going to think that bad traffic is normal. So if you don't clean your shit before you put in an AI product, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things that like CISOs and, and different industries don't take into consideration and they make like really spur the moment decisions. I gotta say, like my, my problem with, I mean, I don't know a single CISO. Well, I know, I think one person that uses Darktrace and likes it, but mm -hmm. it's just the email antigena part, which mm -hmm. seems to be somewhat clever because it gives you yeah. some automated An option. Kind of, yeah, yeah. What's, what's right, what's not. The, the other product, I only know a few people that have used it and they've all torn it out. And their marketing is just absolutely ridiculous. Because first of all, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I haven't used it personally, but for it to work, it's just like you said, like it needs to learn on something clean. Otherwise it's never going to work. That's, that's one problem is they themselves market themselves. They don't say that they just right. market themselves as it's AI. It's everything you need. That's it. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the funny thing, Greg, and there's still the, the chief scientist for Dark Trace is actually one of the founding members of Triple C. Yeah, like I'm sure, you know, like the maths behind yeah. it is yeah, amazing. Super amazing. smart. But the concept sucks. Yeah. The con yeah, it's because, you know, they're, they're the first ones, you know, the hooded hacker and all that stuff. And yeah. their salespeople are so, I mean, I think I was being chased by like over a dozen different Dark Trace people. Yeah. It's and, the salespeople. The salespeople at Dark Trace are, are, are terrible. And I, I don't ah, sure. they have so many of them. It's like, it's mind boggling how many people they have in sales. Yeah. And, you know, they'll harass you all the time. And if you don't talk to them, they'll start calling your team and they'll start calling random people on your floor and your company trying to, like, you know, even, even lying to get you on the phone, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And I, got, sure. I got to the point where I'm like, get, go in your CRM and put me as a do not call. Yep. Uh, and I, even then they still kept calling me and I had to kind of escalate this. And I finally got it. And a few months ago, I was at a con, I was on a panel and one of the people on the panel, she worked at dark trace. So obviously dark tracing afterwards immediately went after every participant mm -hmm. and panel member there to pitch them the product. Yeah. And this guy calls me up and he says, Oh, hi, Greg. I'm uh, I, I see in our CRM that you're on like a, a don't call list. Uh, because you've had some harassment from us in the past. I'm terribly sorry about this. And already I'm like, you're calling me, telling me that I'm on the don't call list. Um, but but I, I humored it because of like, well, he's apologizing for it. 
and then he pitched me. I'm like. So what's, what's funny is when, when I did, uh, I think it was uh, FOC Manchester, um, Dark Trace came up to me and said, hey, look, you know, you know, we really appreciate you speaking. Have you thought about Dark Trace? And I was like, look, um, so, so that exploit that I just like gave you guys a, the document for and how to build it and how to run it, Dark Trace didn't detect it. Um, I ran it over port 8080 and Dark Trace in the advanced search saw the traffic, saw the PowerShell, but didn't recognize it as potentially bad. So there was no like, they don't, they don't like to use the word alert. They like to use the word um, signature. So there was no signature for that traffic. They couldn't put together the insertion of the USB going out to get a PowerShell script bring it back and execute it totally blind to that. So I worked with them for like a month trying to get them to understand that, you know, that's malicious traffic. If someone goes outside the network to grab a PowerShell script, that should probably be notified and brought up as a high level alert, but it never was. Um, so the, their product is really immature, but the research team is top notch and very open to like working with people. The problem is that if you bring, like I said before, you, you bring any machine learning or AI into a, a screwed network, you're going to get screwed results, period. Um, I, 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 don't know, I don't know the answer to, to cleaning up a network to the point where you can bring in AI to make it legit. But right now, our, our industry is not ready for AI at all. Exactly. Everything's, everyone's still getting pwned for like the most basic things. No, no one's done the fund. No one's done the fundamentals well yet. Yeah. Every, everyone's worried about, you know, it's a pyramid of, you know, the basics and the really advanced stuff and, and the, how much protection you want. Right. And everyone wants, you know, that very pinnacle. Um, and the actual, the irony is that the, the number of attacks, the really cool attacks that that pinnacle protects you from, you don't need to worry about because right. First, it's so low because there's much easier ways of owning you. Right. If, if you have me with a USB inside your network, you have much larger problems than my USB. Um, and if you're accepting PowerShell from outside your perimeter, then you should you're, probably not be an MSP. You should probably worry about your internal organization first. Uh, the same organization had 500 eternal blue vulnerabilities on their internal network and told me that, oh, well, it's okay because it's internal and it's not exposed. And I was like, well, guess what? You have a guest Wi-Fi in the lobby? I guarantee you I can exploit it right now. Um, but yeah, I, I mean- I've yet to see a company do asset management properly. Dude, I mean, there is no asset management. Like DOD-wide, we're talking like multiple, probably a couple hundred per command that they don't know exists, assets. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I would, to the deal's credit, they're, they're starting to roll out Tanium, and I hope they use it well, because Tanium's quite cool in that every every endpoint when an agent listens around it, and it yep. listens to ARP requests, so there's yep. not a spreadsheet, it's not an import, it's not a ping scan, anything that sends an ARP request to get an, I, an IP address gets detected. Yeah. Then you have to action, and you have to identify what that was and load an agent on it or get it off the network. Exactly. That, so it gives you a string to pull on, but most... Most organizations, you know, commercial. at least 5% of their assets they don't know about. Commercial and assets. You know, 
in a lot of cases, uh, enterprise-grade people, quite often asset management is something that's skimped on rather badly. Um, you know, the, the standard asset management, as you probably well know, is it's just a big list of all the computers in the building, names and who has them and all that sort of stuff and things. And quite often what happens is, is when things are in a rush or, you know, strapped for time or whatever, um, computers will be built, thinged out to people without any sort of... Not as bad as it could have been. Jose, go ahead. But I think we missed that last part. Yeah. From the iPhone. Hello? Yeah. Whoever that is. Hello? Well, Lucas, go ahead. I think they're talking to you. Oh, sorry. That's just feedback coming through my mic. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 21st century problems. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, if you don't have asset management, you know, that means you've got hosts, you're not configuring, you're not deploying right, you're not removing permissions on, you're not patching, you're fucked. Yeah, and that's the bottom line. So I was talking to uh, our snake earlier this week. We had Dad, a phone call. I like mine. You have to guess what I have. I got Right on. Right on. That's, that's genius. <laughs> So anyways, um, I was speaking to Arsenic about like some of our history and, and what he's gone through to, to try to like um, correlate our story for the documentary. And he was talking about the hack. hack um, Joel, can you mute for a second? Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so so our snake was telling me a story about how the secretary secretary of defense came to where he lived in Texas to talk to him about being part of hack the Pentagon. Um, they really wanted him involved. He didn't want to do it because first of all, it doesn't pay anything. Um, second of all, he wouldn't get anything out of it. Um, but they had him do it anyways, and he agreed to it. So he got on one one lunch period um, at work and started poking around and found 1.5 million vulnerabilities in the Pentagon's network. Uh, and he went a little too deep into some of the exploits and some of the uh, vulnerabilities, and they actually threatened to arrest him. So it goes back to the point of companies want to know vulnerabilities, but the key point is nobody wants to admit their baby is absolutely fucking ugly. Yeah. And, and that's industry-wide. So when I go in and do pen tests, when I give them a report of 50 pages of your shit's fucked, then they fight back. Yeah, they do. And I'm having, I'm having the same um, – it's, it's so much of it's about culture. Yeah. You can, you can take an organization, and I don't know if, if you're – I've been dealing with some Germans lately, and maybe you, you've seen this as well. Take an organization where – so this is not the Germans, but you take an organization where they've spent money, they've spent the last five, 10 years securing stuff. You go in there and you see, this is shit uh, because you've not considered this, you've not considered this, this is, you, you say you're doing this, but you don't really understand how it works, blah, blah, blah. All these problems, they get defensive, they hide, they resist, they slow things down um, and it's a pain. And you can go to a, another organization where they've done nothing. They have absolutely nothing in place, but their, their attitude is, yeah, we don't really know what to do. 
please tell us. You know, even though they're technically 10 years behind because company A has started 10 years ago, you'll get these guys up to speed in no time at all just because they're open to, you know, they're not defensive about it. Right. It's, and it's communicating the fact that like, I'm not, I'm not blaming you for this guys. You know, you guys are developers, you're this, you're infrastructure, you're, you're data scientists, you're doing all this other stuff. Uh, I'm here to help you with the security part. You do your part. I'll do my part. We have to work together. It's like, great. You know, yeah, we're, we're keen to find out. We're keen to learn. Um, so that dichotomy, that's... Greg, that dichotomy, yeah. when you look at it, culture makes all the difference. Yeah. When you look at the, the dichotomy in the security industry, right. And that type of, that type of issue, let's bring that into the pandemic. Right. So it's nothing more than a vulnerability assessment. Nobody wants to admit the numbers. Nobody wants to admit the issues, right? But that's, that's, human, that's human nature, right? It's the, the survival. We don't want to admit vulnerability or issues because it makes us weak. And a lot of companies stick to that. They, they won't admit that they have problems. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I've, I've got my views on the pandemic. You know, the, so much of the data is, is so heavily flawed, but you know, politicians don't want to admit that now. Yeah. So we've got, you know, we, we've got a PDR test that for, for every hundred thousand people you test, you create a thousand cases. Yeah. Even when nobody had it. Yeah. And, and the Bluetooth, the, the Bluetooth. Oh my God. So when the UK came out with the application for NHS, and they were using Bluetooth for the, uh, I guess, cross-reference of who's been exposed and who hasn't. I raised the point of, you know, I can sit there and sniff Bluetooth all day and manipulate the numbers to the nth degree. And they fought that shit left and right and, and like, deleted my post. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you don't want to admit that there's a vulnerability? I had a guy tell me there was no vulnerabilities in Bluetooth. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> it's, I think the, the culture that you get as well is within um, the companies is these people, like you described, um, Greg, have like done all their, their 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 checks and they've hardened their system up and everything. But for a lot of people, it's a tick in a box. Well, we've done it, and what they fail to realise is, yeah, you've done it now. In three months' time or six months' time, there'll be more stuff that comes across, and you go back down to do it again. Yeah, and go back and do it again. And I think this is what what people miss. I'm okay with that though, Mike. I'm 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 completely okay with having to go back and do audits every two weeks. As a matter of fact, let's do it every day. Yeah, I mean, it's the only way you catch stuff because people seem to forget that. Send me Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) See, you're selling out, Mike. I'll, we I'll all have to make one. Can't use them anywhere else, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's take for instance my last pen test I did. I did it for a uh, domain name registrar, and they said they had twenty devices they needed tested: EPP server, um, and just twenty devices. That was at twenty IPs. So I look at those twenty IPs, and those twenty IPs had one hundred and thirty-four interfaces together. So what went from 20 IPs went to 134 on a contract I'd already signed for two and a half grand for a week. And I had to cover 134 IP addresses for a domain registrar. 
So they take advantage of people. And the sad thing is, is that that's, that's industry-wide. Um, and it has been around since I became a pen tester over 20 years ago. Uh, so the check boxes, yeah, the check boxes don't help. The compliance, meet and compliance doesn't help because most of the time I do those compliance uh, pen tests, they want to massage the results to make it look like they're not as bad as they are. Uh, so they meet that level of compliance for funding. Um, and that's, that's a problem in the industry as a whole. Or they need to meet, meet compliance in order to be able to, you know, work with other people. Yeah. Um, we, you have that again in the oil and gas industry. You have to be a certain type of compliance in order to be able to trade with other yeah. people within but the oil and gas industry. It's easy to be compliant if you're secure. It's not yeah. necessarily easy to be secure if you're compliant. Exactly. Just go about it the right way. And that's, that's you know, all I care about now is like, I just want to build security programs that work. And that's completely different for every organization because it depends how they're structured, who the people are, what the culture is, what the resources, what the skill sets are. You've got to tailor all that shit to make something that's kind of sustainable. And nobody does that. They're but it, it boxes. Yeah. It really focuses on people. It's not technology. So technology rarely changes drastically. It's the people in process. So if you can audit that people in process, you're going to get 100% compliance. Well, your biggest, your biggest issue just now. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll go upstairs. I'm sorry. Two of the biggest problems. And what does it target? No, go ahead. You know? So I wanted to cover something really quick. Yeah, I want to cover something really quick before um, the end of the podcast. So we may have a potential corporate sponsor um, that does automated pen testing. Uh, Hopefully we'll have like a sealed agreement within the next two weeks. Um, at that point, like this will get a lot bigger. Uh, I, d- I didn't expect this podcast to like really boom like it has, um, but I'm like really impressed. And some of the, the people that we're going to have on, Greg being one is really big for me. Um, hopefully we'll get Kevin to come on if he has time between his haircuts and like working <laughs> Different sessions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I want this to be a collaborative effort uh, to go over the industry and, and, and look at new ideas and, and ways to improve what we're doing. Um, and I think we've done that tonight. So I'm going to leave you guys to it. You know, you guys, you know, ask questions, whatever. I'm going to sign off and I'll probably shut this down in like an hour. Uh, but feel free to ask Greg questions as long as he wants to stay. And uh, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks to this, Mike. Thanks, guys. It's been great. I was about to say I need to bow out because I I may have told my girlfriend this is going to take 20 minutes and it's been two hours. (laughs) It's getting late as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Greg. He's not even answering me on WhatsApp anymore. What's up? yeah, I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime uh, Mike wants me to. Um, I've got to get going, but by any means, you know, feel free to connect on LinkedIn if you haven't already. And uh, yeah, <laughs> happy to go. Yeah. Yeah, Greg, all right. Hey, Greg.
All right. Yeah, bye. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Appreciate it. Night, everyone. Yeah. Need to go to my bed. How are you too, Mike? Hey. Oh, Ryan, how you doing? Good, man. What's happening? Oh, no, Mike. It's time to go to bed now. It's midnight here. It's what about here? Oh, 10.55, nice and early. Yeah, no, 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 12 o'clock. It's, it's, it's time where you sit. But this time I'm like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tap out. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm heading off to my bed now. Yeah, I need my beauty sleep and things. But yeah, that was a fun, fun talk. And thanks. Yeah, man, it was good. It's insightful, dude. I, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's, lot, there's lots of things you can talk about and everything. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on. I mean, I've been, I've been in IT for donkey's years. Um, closing in on, well, I'm a big 5 Would you believe it? <laughs> uh, look at David 21, mate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but, you know, having seen it all, I mean, I've worked primarily in oil and gas up here yeah. in Aberdeen. And... You know, the, the, all the stuff they've described has it, it's nothing new it's been going on for years and years and years yeah. and everything and it, it needs to change you, you need to be able to bring people in to do the stuff and, and you know accept that you don't know the subject you know yeah. and, and listen to what somebody says and true enough you go and look at it it's always just a tick in the box for a lot of places oh we've done security and then yeah. like say, well yeah you've done security then you need to do security now yeah. and you try and tell people yeah, they just don't want to know, you know. And like you said, they'll they'll try and dish you or get you dismissed, you know, or you know, like they raise your comments and things. But then what they do when they raise comments like that is you'll probably find somebody in, internally has picked it up and claimed it or they found it. You know. Now, how someone like you with so much, so much experience out of work, man? Like it's they they, they cry there's this job like a skill shortage, but someone with 20, 25 years experience yeah. like yourself. Is, is looking for work, man. It blows my mind. It's, it's kind of it's hit a problem in the fact that there's more stuff comes along, and especially with the advent of cloud. And you know, you then you initially had you know Amazon and Microsoft Azure came along, and there wasn't that many services on it. But look at the stuff now, the amount of services they have. Yeah. As that came along, I realised that what I do is like you no know, on-site support. You know, so if I was employed by somebody, I'd be an on-site person and everything. Yeah. But as you get more and more cloud stuff, the on-site support is going to go from the local to, to the cloud people because if you get a problem, it goes to the cloud people to solve. So eventually yeah. what would happen is an on-site localized person would eventually become a glorified note-taker and yeah. things. So I realized that I needed to kind of move away from normal IT support and try and make a move into cloud support or yeah. IT security. Yeah. And IT security... You've yeah. gone for security? Is that where you're... Yeah, IT your security was the thing I kind of picked up on because I realized that also with the way things were going, you had companies who then you know, would have like IP. You know, So, for example, like oil and gas companies create items to use. So if they were creating an item, that's intellectual property. So somebody could break in, nick all the files, sell it to somebody else. That person could then fast track it through and consume them to the market. And that company who spent... Millions to create it all would lose out on tens of millions, you know. Yeah. So I realized that security needed to be changed, you know, past the point of where the usual type of security was, you know, you went to this and your permissions gave you access to various places on the network, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And as you saw more and more stuff coming, you know, outside, you know, and you suddenly realized, well, there's a lot more to security. It's not just internal now. You've got to figure out your perimeter stuff. How do you yeah. deal with somebody from outside? Uh, Jason Street. 
a guy uh, who was on a podcast was it the other day, and uh, he said physical and physical security is just something that's completely overlooked with everyone, like mm-hmm. concentrating on the actual, you know, the, the traffic side of things. Like, like if someone just walking into plugging USB B stick in, like Mike was saying, boom, network owned. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one one of the ones that I I did years and years ago, one of the companies I worked for was actual physical security in the building. What happened was we got broken into, but yeah. not because somebody physically broke in, you know, into the building, like you know, smashed a window and climbed in and blah blah blah. Yeah. What had happened was the bloody cleaners who'd been in cleaning at night had left yeah. the back door sitting open. And the person <laughs> just walked in. <laughs> you know, even I'm not sure. <laughs> and. And the funny thing was that uh, walked in. I walked in the following morning, unlocked the computer room, walked into it, I looked around, it's like, that's funny. And I was like, wait a minute, I didn't lock the computer room. I don't normally lock it because you know it's in a place where nobody would think to look. And I was like, okay. And then the first thing I looked around was, and the first thing I noticed was the three laptops were missing. And the reason the three laptops were there is because they were all faulty, right? Yeah. So, and that was back in the old days, you know, where you could, like your your board inside your laptop was main board, and then you like in the Dell ones, you'd have a clipping graphics card and everything. Yeah, and I remember. I remember right. yeah. cards, you know? So they were all waiting to get new graphics cards. Mm-hmm. Then at the same time, I noticed that three laptops were going. I noticed that the box that the the next bit for the telephony system was missing, so it had been under the table. Yeah. And the reason I knew was because it was a red and white box. It kind of stood out a bit, you know? Yeah. So, cops, obviously, the cops come in. I supply the cops with the serial numbers, make, model of all the machines, that, you know, thingy. And the next thing I then do is I contact Dell to tell them that these machines have gone missing. So if somebody yeah. contacts you for support for them, don't give them anything. Yeah. Following week, they turn up, they come back in. I just got an evidence bag. And one of the laptops, and it's like, yep, yeah, recognize that laptop. And it turns it over, yep, serial number, definitely know who that belongs to. That's definitely one of our machines. Where did you find it? And they'd literally gone, the police had a list of people, you know, who are known for petty theft and everything. And he says, the reason we were able to identify him is because sitting in his bedroom was the red and white box that you. <laughs> so were they, were they stolen for uh, the data that was on them, or they were just a, it was just a petty break in, or what's the. It's, it it's, what call, it's, what, it's what we call opportunic theft. Oh, yeah, it's, okay. like, it's like if yeah. you leave a door open, somebody will sneak in and grab something. Yeah, yeah. Right? Basically, he wasn't, apparently he wasn't in the building for any more than maybe a minute or two. And he yeah. slipped back out the same door because the cleaner, cleaners were too busy tuning around. And of course, the first thing I said was, well, how the hell did you get in? And the first thing I said was, ask the cleaners, I bet you they left the doors unlocked or open. And true enough, they'd left the back doors sitting wide open while they were away cleaning upstairs and everything. Yeah. You know? and it was just, oh. But like everything else, I mean, you know, as I said, a whole lot more stuff could have gone missing if the guy had been, you know, a determined thief, you know, yeah. and the like. But I mean, there's only so much you can do with security. I mean, I've been through the, the you know, the swipe card scene and everything, and yeah. it's always the same fault that comes up with swipe cards. You know, you ask people when they come in and you tell, you explain to them why they need to swipe their card on the swipe card thing at the door. But the amount of times you get, like, so a bunch of people all arrive first thing in the morning. And the first person will swipe their card and the rest of the people will just droop in. And then you go and run a, a fire test and you get the sheet outside and there's about half a dozen to a dozen employees not on the list. But they're there in front of you and it's like, why are you not on the list? You didn't swipe your card in the morning, did you? <laughs> I'm going to tap out. It was lovely to you do. Nice speaking to you.
Yeah, I'll take the video on our, our LinkedIn. So look for yeah, my. Yeah, be my guest. Yeah. And I'll sure speak to you again. Yeah, because I'm going to sneak off as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll be here every week, mate. I'm a fiend. <laughs> I'll be back. 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 I'll be Right then. Good night. Good night.